0: Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. This episode begins with an opening story from Nikki Barnhart, who shares a poem she's returned to throughout the course of her life. Here's more from Nikki.
1: My name is Nikki, and I work in New York World Publishing, currently at Farrar, Strauss in Giroux. The piece I'd like to share today is an excerpt from T.S. Eliot's timeless classic, The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, a longtime personal favorite of mine. This was also one of my father's favorite poems, and I remember him first reading it to me when I was 12 or so on an autumn night many years ago. Of course, the poem spans many moods, mainly various ranges of disillusionment, but there's a brief moment of something like solace near the beginning, where Eliot personifies autumn fog and smoke into a cat. This was my father's favorite section. I reread the poem often, and these lines always make me slow down and remember how transfixed I was in first hearing them. They remind me of the evening walks I take in my Brooklyn neighborhood now, where I slow down and take in the soft warm glow emitting from the homes around me the yellow fog that rubs its back upon the window panes the yellow smoke that rubs its muzzle on the window panes licked its tongue into the corners of the evening lingered upon the pools that stand in drains let fall upon its back the soot that falls from chimneys slipped by the terrace made a sudden leap and seeing that it was a soft October night curled once about the house and fell asleep and indeed there will be time for the yellow smoke that slides along the street rubbing its back upon the window panes. There will be time, there will be time to prepare a face to meet the faces that you meet. There will be time to murder and create and time for all the works and days of hands that lift and drop a question on your plate. Time for you and time for me and time yet for a hundred indecisions, for a hundred visions and revisions before the taking of the toast and tea.
0: Thank you so much again to Nikki for sharing. Again, the poem she read from was The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock by T.S. Eliot. Now here's my conversation with Orion Carlotto. We look to the past to inform our futures, but as we continue writing the chapters of our stories, we often forget to bask in the events that are unfolding in real time. Creative people have a unique ability to capture the nuances of these particular experiences, and poet and pacemaker Orion Carlotto is one of them. As she's grown in her creative practice, Orion has learned how to look for and celebrate the magic in the otherwise mundane moments, and this appreciation for the little things stems from lived experiences and the growth that has shaped Orion's perspective since writing her first book, Flux. Today, Orion is celebrating the release of her highly anticipated second book, Film for Her, which in her words, is a reflection of all the instances in my life where I found beauty and poetry in the most ordinary places. This introspection has allowed Orion to write from a place of acceptance, and as she's grown into her personal, professional, and creative identity, Orion is slowly changing the narrative around what it means to tell stories with both meaning and grace. In this conversation, Orion shared more about the inspiration behind film for her, her thoughts on language as a tool for beauty beyond aesthetics, and what she's learned about growing up and slowing down. There's a lot to get into, so without giving too much more away, here's my conversation with poet and tastemaker, Orion Carlotto.
2: My name is Orion Carlotto, and though my main source of work and what I love to do most is writing and poetry. You know, I've kind of delved myself into this world of arts and love everything that has to do with interior design and photography and just art in general, especially, you know, growing up in a small town, it's very hard to be around such pleasures. So it's been a very interesting past, you know, five years of my life being outside of home and into that new world that I'm in now. I live in Los Angeles. I have two cats who are my company at all times and whom I love so much. And yeah, a quiet girl lives at home with her cats and loves to read and write poetry and have the time of her life doing it.
0: It comes across, and so much of what you do and your approach really resonates with me, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you about storytelling and your journey and kind of finding your voice. You know, before we get into talking about the stories that you write, I would love to have you share a story, whether it's an article or a poem, book, that made you slow down recently or sort of reconsider your relationship with storytelling or, you know, your outlook on self-expression
2: two come to mind in terms of storytelling, which has really opened my world because I'm typically used to writing shorter prose and poems. And um, I've always admired short stories, but I never really knew where to start with that. Over the past year and a half, I recently got into reading Eve Babbitt. She's an incredible storyteller who's lived the most opposite life from me, She grew up around artists. She is an artist herself. She grew up in Los Angeles and lived this sort of old Hollywood life that is easy to romanticize, but she speaks from a very real tongue of how I think. So definitely reading her book, right now I'm reading Eve's Hollywood, has opened my eyes in, in, in the way that I tell stories because I think it's very easy to sugarcoat things and not really write from the voice in your head. I find for me, I just want to make everything sound beautiful, but not everything that comes to my mind and all the things that I think of aren't necessarily beautiful. So she's been someone that I was able to read her work and really enjoy. And I enjoyed it because it felt like it came straight from her mind, straight from her mouth, and there was no sugarcoating. And also in in slowing down and something that's reconsidered my outlook, I always go back to a book by Alan Watts, who is just this incredible man, but he has a book called The Wisdom of Insecurity, a message for an age of anxiety. And, you know, it's not labeled as a self-help book, but I read it as one specifically because everything that he's saying is things that we already know, but kind of just needed that reminder in life that, you know, things are going to happen. Life is going to happen. And it's all about how you choose to see that perspective and carry and move yourself forward and in all aspects, whether it has to do with your own anxieties or your relationship with others or how you take information from other people and how you give and receive. It's always been a book that I've I've went back on and highlighted every time I go back I'm always highlighting something new depending on where I'm at in life at that moment
0: yeah I'll have to add both of those to my list but I'm also a really big advocate of going back and rereading books as you kind of gain more perspective and have a different sort of appreciation for the words and for the story as your own has sort of unfolded on the subject of stories that are sort of central to you at a beginning stage of your life you know the opening letter of your latest book film for her which we'll talk about in a few minutes ends with this sentence and it really struck me and it says in a world where we've become so obsessed with trying to survive, I hope these words serve as a gentle reminder that it's simply okay to live. And I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about the book and also about the genesis of this wish, so to speak. And, you know, as you reflect on these words now in a time where life really isn't that simple, what would you say to your readers?
2: You know, that came to me when writing this book, and especially when the world wasn't shut down all the way, it's so easy to be consumed by so many other things, especially with work, you know, you're always trying to progress in your work and, and in your friendships and your relationships. And it's always like, what can how can I better myself? And uh, what next step do I need to take? I'm always like consistently thinking about the future. And that has plagued my mind to a degree that almost felt unhealthy that I took a step back. And I'm like, Oh, Ryan, like you're not like living right now you're so much focused on what's going to happen what what's the right word to say you know what direction you're going to go in next and i never really took those moments to like really just allow myself the pleasure to breathe and to live in whatever moment that i was having presently so the book really came from yeah from that film for her started as a project that lived on Instagram first. And it was, you know, so much with what I do with curating and fashion and design, I try to make everything that I do. Let's start off with the fact that I'm a Virgo. Like I'm a perfectionist. I don't know if you believe in astrology at all, but that's my life. So everything in me, I'm just like, it needs to be like the best version of it. It could possibly be. And so that's so much of my work. And there was never really a place where I can just... And not to say that I don't enjoy that also. I love, love, love creating and, you know, making beautiful things and sharing things that I, you know, have interest in and hopes that others will too. But yeah, there were so many moments of my life that didn't really fit that world because I didn't really come from like, you know, we were talking about Eve Babbitt's earlier, I didn't really come from the world of art by any means. So Film for Her started as, you know, taking photographs of these instances of my life that were passing moments that felt very important to me in that moment. And looking back at the photographs and putting a story to it to share with others as to, you know, why I felt so inclined to take a photo of a sidewalk in Chicago, like these very, Mundane moments that seem not just boring to me but boring to other people, but really adding life to that because there is so much life to be lived in those small moments. we focus so much on our highlights in our lives, you know the best moments that we've had, and the moments where we felt the world was swallowing us whole, and we were super super down about something. I think we rarely ever reflect on everything else that comes in between and accepting this life of ours, and that death is soon to come and How can we make the most of it while we still have it?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful tribute to not only living in the moment and capturing in the moment, but taking time to kind of reflect on how those moments have informed sort of the next chapter of our lives. And I think, you know, when we talk about creativity and the creative process, we're talking about it a lot of the time uh, as something that's ongoing, which it is. But as you kind of reflect on writing the second book and just you know, as you've grown more in your kind of creative identity, what have you learned about the importance of endings and closing one chapter to make space for the next? And do you believe that finite periods of time are important for creativity?
2: Oh, very, very much so. There was a quote, I wish I could remember who said it, but ever since I heard it, it really put a lot of things into perspective for me with, you know, things ending. I think it's very easy to be Especially when things you feel end on a note where you felt like you were just scratching the surface and it ended too soon. There's a quote that says, you know, look at the instances in your life and don't ask yourself, why me? Ask yourself, what is this teaching me? And I think, you know, after hearing that moving forward, I was able to look at so many instances in my life and other, you know, my friends' lives that are also going through things and hearing their stories, just being so upset or troubled and erratic by life happening, you can really just take a step back and be like, okay, what in this moment, like why did this happen? And what is life trying to teach me for the future? And what lessons do I need to take and what character developments and changes I need to make within myself to make sure that I did learn something from this and I'm actually taking that lesson and putting it into good for the future instead of you know reflecting back and into my old ways and you know staying stagnant
0: super important and i wonder too you know how does that apply to your work in sort of the tastemaker influencer realm because i i think our stories are similar in the sense that we both jump-started our careers on tumblr and Mm -hmm. i personally love platforms like tumblr because at least when they were kind of in their golden age they really allowed room for original thought versus kind of arbitrary performance. And I think I'm sure we can speak to this more, but as the internet and the digital space has really sped up over the years, the expectation for how much we have to give to it and to fuel that kind of unsustainable pace has also sped up too. So, you know, how do you kind of think it affects the way that you tell stories, whether through poetry or through partnerships in our digital landscape today and you know, where do you kind of draw the line in terms of creating for that versus creating for you?
2: You know, speaking of Tumblr, I think having that platform at such a young age really did open my perspective and I'm sure yours as well on, on, yeah, what you decide to share and like what you find, I guess the word I'm not appropriate, but we'll use that for the time being. But I know I've seen so many people get so stressed out about numbers and like, should I post this? Will this perform well? Or will people like this? And I never really had that, which I can feel I, I'm beyond grateful for. And I think it really was because of Tumblr because it was posting things that it had nothing to do with how many reblogs or how many likes you're going to get. It had to do with, you know, if you like it, if you enjoy it, if it sparks any sort of happiness in you then hell repost it, do it. That's fine. It's for you. And I think that's something that I've carried on into my Instagram and my work as well. You know, not everyone's going to like everything I post. And of course, like a picture of my face is going to perform way better than uh, any other photo that I take that doesn't have to do with me specifically. But, you know, it, it genuinely is just keeping headstrong to your own ideals. And what you do find pleasurable because that creates, you know, your own image and sets you apart from the rest because you're not gonna, you know, you can go on my Instagram or other people's Instagram who have the same ideals as me and, or or just them as people take away social media and it's nothing's different from what you see online. We're showing our interest. We're sharing the things that we love. And if it doesn't get the feedback and, you know, all the likes and the comments that you genuinely would want from that. And of course, we all love that attention. You can still, you know, lock your phone and be happy about what you shared because at the end of the day, it is a part of you and that is something that you enjoyed and and people can see that and, and understand that as well, that it has nothing to do with, you know, putting on a show for other people.
0: Just as you were speaking... I you know, was flashing back to moments where I spent a lot of time on Tumblr, and I think the reason that platform kind of created space for creativity to flourish online is because you couldn't see the amount of followers someone had. You couldn't really see anything that would mm-hmm. indicate, quote unquote, that they were worth listening to. And I think with stories and content that you're putting out, it really is a hearkening back to the importance of language as a tool for connection beyond right. just kind of aesthetics, do you think about, you know, how language can affect our visual storytelling? I think it's so interesting to sort of see the rise of uh poetry in the context of social media. I know there's tension there from maybe, you know, people who have been in the space of poetry longer, but, you know, what are your thoughts on that balance?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it took watching films and listening to music growing up. For me, it was always very easy to, you know, look at a script or look at lyrics and, and actually focus and hone in on those outside of the beauty of the film and, and the aesthetics of it or how good a song sounds and look at those words and create an, a little story in my head or, or even relate it back to my own life and figure out how I can, how this seems, you know, Relatable to me in any sense, or even if it's not relatable, if it piques any of my interests that I haven't even personally gone through, um I feel is the same for poetry and storytelling as well to be able to have that ability to it doesn't have to be the most insane poem written on paper, but as long as you can see some sort of visual behind it or interpret in your own way what that means to you is a beautiful thing and language very much affects everything that we do the reason why songs are so beautiful to me is because of the lyrics and 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 the storytelling that goes in it and the same with films like a film could be beautiful but if the language isn't there I'm not captivated by it and I'm sure other people can relate to that as well
0: yeah Absolutely. And I think that's a really nice sort of segue into kind of talking about some of the main themes that I like to explore with slow stories. And so for those listening who don't know, slow stories in its most current phase is all about exploring slowing down in our digital age. And that was really sort of propelled by my interest in the slow content movement and understanding how pace kind of affects how we live, work, and create in this day and age. And so something that I always like to ask my guests is what this idea of slow content or storytelling means to them. And so for you, you know, talk to me about Pace and how would you say it informed your approach to writing both of your books and then obviously most recently film for her?
2: So there were bits and moments in my life that I would get insecure that, you know, poets and writers that I knew were releasing a book every single year. and. I would always ask this one, like, how are they not only like, how are they focusing for like, that's yeah. Every single year writing a book, they're, you know, setting certain months for themselves. Like I'm going to write, I'm going to have it done by this time. And it's going to be out in this year. And, you know, it took three years for my second book to come out. And it really was, you know, kind of training myself and teaching myself. Like it, it's not about like, you're not, You know, going to be the best writer in the world just because you're releasing a book every single year. And not to say that I want to be the best writer in the world, just for context, that it really is about quality over quantity. I needed those three years to grow in my writing, I needed those three years to mature and to read other people's work and to study what poetry is and study storytelling. Because like I said, that was something that was very new for me and that you see a lot in this upcoming book um, that I never really did in my first book. So I needed those three years of collecting that quality. And I didn't think I could do it. I'll be honest. When I had released the first book, I was like, man, do I have to go through like another terrible tumultuous heartbreak to feel something this deep again and to write about it. And I didn't like, I I felt obviously there were heartbreaks throughout the year, but I never honed in on that one feeling where I was like, this is another heartbreak book. This is the one feeling that I'm feeling right now and I'm writing with it and we're going to go hard and write another book. It took understanding other moments of my life that also had that same heightened value Heartbreak isn't the only thing that, in romance specifically, isn't the only thing that should spark any sort of creativity out of me. It's looking at the other relationships in my life and the relationship I have with myself and the relationship I have with cities that I've been to and that I've traveled to, to really understand that value and to appreciate the value in that and to write about it as well. Because, you know, it's so easy to take a heartbreak or take the romance in your life, whether it's been positive or negative and to really write about that. But what I'm glad is, you know, taking, yeah, those three years to look at everything else in my life and finding the beauty and writing about those things, because those are just as important to anything else.
0: For sure. And it's interesting. I mean, three years, relatively speaking, isn't that long, but if you look at the kind of broader context of how the world has changed the world in which you started writing the book has just been turned on its head. Would you say that your writing grew or changed in that time? You know, what's important to you as you kind of go forward in your, you know, writing endeavors and what's something that you hope to hold on to?
2: Yeah, it's totally changed. Um, my tone, my, what feeling I'm writing from. I used to write from anger and resentment and, and this kind of like pity me, I'm the victim here, um, which is an easy feeling to feel when you're sad and heartbroken is you want that pity so you can feel better about, you know, your own heartbreak. So I, I changed in my tone, I, I guess mo- more specifically in the emotion, the tone that I feel coming from a more understanding point of view as I've grown naturally. Um, cause I, I started writing, when I was a teenager so the angst was real it was very very real and I would not go back and change that as much as you know sometimes I look back at some of my old writing and I it's easy to cringe at and like oh god like why did I why did I do that but those moments are real and I'm glad that I got to have a perspective of my teenage self uh locked into the world forever and there. Does come a bit of fear actually with releasing a second book because, you know, there were people that didn't know who I was before and, and found flux and really resonated with it and followed me from then on. And so now the second book, where I have a different way of looking at life and a different tone, and definitely matured in my writing in the sense, you know, like I said in the past three years, I've, I've studied a lot and I've read a lot, much more. There is that fear of, you know, will they like this? And then I I go back to, you know, with the whole posting thing, it's like, you know what, I like this. And this was real in the moments that it was written. And I wouldn't change anything about how I wrote it or how I felt when I wrote it. And so it almost is just kind of like these books serve as these time markers of my life of growth. And even after writing film for her, I was like, can I progress? Is it possible? But from seeing how possible it was with the first book, I most certainly know that, you know, we're always growing and we're always changing and our perspectives are never the same. So you can only just, you know, hope for the best that even right now when times are really really slow um and you don't think you're learning much you're learning a lot more than you than you think
0: yeah we need these moments of stillness to you know bring everything back into clarity i know for me slow stories has been kind of a culmination of everything that i'm now unlearning in terms of what it means to tell stories and to build something that has quote unquote value and just kind of exists in a really competitive, performative world. But I think, you know, projects and, and stories like a film for her are setting a new standard and how we connect with each other. Absolutely. Is there a poem in the book that kind of embodies a lot of what we've talked about in terms of, you know, this kind of evolution of your voice that you're really proud of and that you could maybe read for us today?
2: Oh, yes, I will pull it up. Actually, I have the book, just give you one second to grab it. You know, a lot of the focus in the book is accepting this life of ours and death that is soon to come and every moment that comes in between. And I write a lot about my family and my relationship with my friends and with my mental health as well. Um, You know, there are snippets in this book that I do talk about, you know, my own love life and this one poem in particular, or I guess piece of prose I feel like shows growth in how I look at heartbreak. Like I said, it was such an angry thing that I used to experience. And now I look at it with more acceptance. And, you know, life moves on. And what well, what can I learn from this? So I have a piece called Swan Song that I had written after an ending of something that I kind of expected was to happen but i didn't know it would happen that soon so this one is swan song what stood between us was both distance and unrequited belonging naturally i kept my wits about me and preserved not to be led astray from my realities distractions will do you good for moments at a time but it was he who needled his way into the forefront of my musings upon discovering this truth what followed was an october of pathetic hunger while it was difficult and brief, I encouraged myself to hang on tightly. I'm almost proud to admit that I was foolishly happy. For months, I was mad with infatuation. All I could truly feel outside of my blind optimism was immense skepticism. I was prepared for a finale we both knew was bound to happen, a kind of physical pain lingering in silence. Hence, most minutes and hours spent in each other's company felt sacred, a place where apathy was no longer. By the end of December, I became a reflection of my old self. It felt much like my relationship with death. I wasn't afraid of loving him, but I was afraid of what came after. The hidden paradise we forged had taken its final breath. In this garden, the trees that once stood ravishing and tall were beginning to lose their life. The brightly colored foliage was slowly embarking into a withered carpet on the forest floor. The birds stopped singing and began flying south in lieu of this inevitable swan song. Slowly and all at once, everything that was once so tangible was burning down brightly in the faces of fate. And as I sat from a distance and watched Aphrodite shed her tears in this closing chapter of predicament, I was shrewd enough to know that this was the end.
0: As you were reading and just staring out my window, and it was just such a a nice moment of calm, so thank you for that.
2: Thank you. I always get so nervous when I read. I always feel like I read so fast. I used to be in, um, like, theater And my theater teacher would always be like, you need to slow down when you read. You get so nervous and you read so fast. And I'm like, I don't, I can't even tell that I'm doing it.
0: I mean, I think there's just that heightened anticipation of, you know, opening your words up to criticism and just to other, other ways of being perceived, but hopefully reading that now, you know, you weren't nervous and it was exciting.
2: Yeah, there is definitely a bit of excitement. Um in that. Uh I that was one of the first pieces that I really shared with friends. You know, they knew the everything that was going on when I had written that, you know, really the story behind it. And of course when explaining that situation to them, it's very easy to just be like, man, I can't believe that happened. Like what what was what was I thinking? Like everything that you could ever possibly think when somebody treats you in a way that you don't treat them. But I, I shared that because I felt like it was such a moment of growth where I think people were expecting me to be so upset about this. And while I was upset, I, I genuinely looked at it as like, this was a moment that was shared with someone. And unfortunately, things come to an end. But how can we find you know the beauty in what was And how can we move forward from that?
0: And I think what's so compelling about stories that capture such intense moments of our lives and these vignettes that, you know, we don't always have full context around is that they kind of invite the readers to ask questions, whether of themselves or of each other. And I think, you know, this is a time collectively that we're experiencing that has called a lot of how we live and create into question. And so I'm curious you know, as the book comes out or as you kind of take the next step in your next chapter with writing, if there is a particular question that you hope people start asking you more often?
2: I think more specifically, like I said, Film for Her was kind of this book to scratch at the surface of my life, of where I came from and you know, how I got to where I am today and more specifically, you know, with my childhood and with my family, I just barely kind of gave everyone a taste of that. And I would love to see, you know, and I I posted some poems online that, you know, talk about my immigrant parents and growing up in a small Georgia town. Um, And there were so many people that were able to relate to that And it's so easy to stray away from talking about stuff of that sort, because so many people in my field of work, you know, either come from money or have some sort of connection in their lives to an artist. And I never really had that. And so one thing that I'm grateful for is finding that that a space in that world for myself when I was so far removed from it by every means possible. Um, I guess to ask questions more about that, because it's especially in a time now where we are focused on more social issues that have to do with immigration and, you know, this American dream that is, so to speak, that everyone strives for is to kind of talk about that and, and how there are struggles to be found in that way of living and way of growing up and still supporting your family and everything that comes with that. I think there's so much more to, to discuss and I'm very proud of myself for, you know, allowing myself to discuss, discuss that without feeling embarrassed because growing up I was very embarrassed about it. I grew up in a predominantly white town and, you know, even hence the name that I've given myself Orion, I wasn't born with this name. There were so many moments in my life where I was whitewashing myself to just fit in and Now that I've found my voice and I've found my interest and and I know what I love and what I don't enjoy, I don't have to prove myself anymore to anyone. I I can just be happy with who I am and, you know, only continue to grow from that. But to to just ask questions about growing up in, in that sort of light and how you can find little ways to overcome that, even though, you know, that's something I'm going to be dealing with for the rest of my life.
0: And I'm sure a lot of what you've written in film for her will kind of illuminate that a little bit more for people. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's something that would probably warrant a follow-up conversation. And I think, you know, just to really be able to create space for those honest conversations and for those questions to happen, I really do believe that we need to slow down and kind of refocus on the things that matter and to not be distracted by a lot of what we've talked about in terms of, you know, vanity and performance. And I think, you know, that's a nice setup for the last question that I always like to ask each of my interviewees, which is this, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work and feel better? And then also to add on to that, create better
2: too. Slowing down is, the most beautiful thing you can do for yourself. It's the most treasurable thing you could do for yourself. So much of us are working hard and we're we're kind of ingrained in this mindset that it's like grind, 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 and you'll reap your benefits from that. But then you wear yourself out and you're tired and you don't want to create anymore, or you feel like what you're creating is just, you know, to appease other people and when you take time to envy the stillness and, and enjoy the stillness that you're you're living in especially right now where we're all given that you know despite the circumstances you're able to really fully not just give yourself a break and allow yourself time to breathe but you're spending so much time with yourself and learning more about Things that make you you, and the things like you said earlier, what you have to unlearn in order to grow, and what you do have to learn in order to grow. I think that stillness is needed. And though I do agree that you, of course, have to work hard and work smart and grind in order to achieve your dreams that you want, you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to tire yourself out. You're going to get to a point where you're like, man, like I feel like I've hit a wall. There's nothing really more i can do there's nothing more i can create but when you allow yourself that pleasure to just breathe you'll find so much more in yourself and around life and the mundane moments that didn't seem so special at the time you'll find that those moments are quite quite like incredibly important to to everything to all your highs and to all your lows
0: Is orion carlotto author of flux and film for her you can follow orion's work online at OrionCarlotto.com and on social media at orion vanessa you can also order film for her wherever books are sold though we recommend supporting local and independent bookstores especially now stay tuned for highlights from this episode at slow stories official on instagram and at slow stories pod on twitter Thanks so much for tuning in to Slow Stories. We'll be back soon.